My name's Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, I'm honored to have in studio as my guest, Jury Love. Jury is a woman who suffered physical, emotional, and sexual abuse as a very young girl growing up in Japan. She shares her story in the hopes that others may be inspired by hearing it and reach out to get the help that they need. So stay tuned for a conversation with the courageous and resilient Jury Love, coming up next on Chapters. Welcome, Jury. Thank you for having me, Jim. I'm so thrilled you're here, and I'm so glad that we met. Jury has an incredible story, a story of survival, a story of thriving after surviving, and we're going to talk to Jury about about her story, about life lessons, and importantly about what she's doing now and living into this this wonderful career and life that she has created. So, Jury, you suffered uh, from childhood sexual abuse and suffer today. I shouldn't put it in the past tense, should I? Yes, I suffered from um, sexual and physical, emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, growing up. Um, And yes, it does affect until today. And it's not easy. And and we were talking a little bit before the show about how important it is not to avoid the word sexual. Correct. Right. And, And why is that? So a lot of people are afraid of talking about sexual abuse, especially from um, their family members and some people that they know or some well-respected people um, if they are the abuser. And um, sexual abuse is such a hard word to say and then, you know, tell people and you will just a full of shame that it happened to you. And I think a lot of victims can relate to me of how scary it is to say that you are sexually abused to people, especially in public. Mm. But um, about 20 years ago, um, I could not talk about this like on the radio, obviously, or like, no, to people Let without... Alone in public, yeah. Well, I mean, or, or yeah, private, w- yeah. without like breaking down the tears, and I just could not um, say a lot of things. Um, so it's not easy. Mm. You were you were uh, abused by your father. Yes. At, at a very very young age, between the age of eight and thirteen. Yes. I can't imagine the amount of trauma trauma that that causes in one's life. I just can't imagine. Um, it's hard for me to to wrap my head around that. And um, uh, then beyond that, um, you had uh, uncles also involved um, yes. with abuse. So this was a you you were abused multiple times by multiple people. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you know, as as you said before, that the level of trauma that brings you to the point in your life where, for what did you say, twenty years ago? So so for many many years after that abuse occurred and after you were out of that environment, you still couldn't even talk about it without completely falling apart. Right. 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 Well, um, just to tell you the history, um, I was abused between age 8 to 13 because um, my parents divorced when I was 8. And mm. then my father's love, unfortunately, shifted towards me, mm. um, including the sexual desire, and which he confessed to my mother like 30 years later. Mm-hmm. But anyways... Um, 
like you said, even if it's five minutes incident, ten minutes incident, the impact of the trauma、um, in your brain would sustain for the rest of your life, and it just so incredibly powerful that、um, it haunts you for. Rest of your life,、mm. unfortunately, and I tried so many different things, counseling, you know, healing sessions and yoga or breathings and meditation. I would say not so many things really works. Um, worked. Um, but you know, you just have to try different things, and I'm not willing to give up.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you you mentioned to me when we were chatting before the show. You said, you know, knowledge is powerful, and that's and that's really what you're doing. And we're going to talk more about how Jury has created、uh, containers,、uh, pe- ways for people people to become knowledgeable, and how she's become an advocate in the area. But、um, you were talking about the manipulation that a sexual abuser、uh, perpetrates on their victims. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely.、Um, so I was. Physically, not only sexually, physical abuse started first, verbal too, and the physical abuse part, I witnessed、um, towards my mother growing up before she left, and、um, I've witnessed between my grandfather to my uncle. So it was very violent, violent like you know, situation that I grew up with,、um, grew up in, and. That part I was able to tolerate, but then、um, the sexual abuse happened, and then I just could not tolerate,、mm-hmm. and then didn't understand. And then I was trying to reach out to people, but I didn't know what to do. But before I even, I I was like maybe thirteen、yeah. when the sexual abuse started to happen, and before I even was able to reach out, first first of all. When the initial sexual abuse happened,、um, I could not talk for one week, and then、um, oh. I figured out the way to reach out my, to my mother, and I was trying to escape from my father. And then my father was working in a town, very respected man, and had a lot of credential in a small town, knew all the police officers and teachers. So, anyways,、um, he went around and started to tell people that I'm a bad girl. And then one time I was in school, and then my teacher called me aside, and then he started to tell me how ungrateful daughter I am to my father, and how I'm trying to go to my mother, trying to escape from the situation, which I didn't tell my teacher that I was getting abused. Well, I I didn't even know the word abuse、um, growing up. I, I I just thought it was just what it is. So you didn't have any language to wrap around it、no. or context for it. No. To you, it was life. Yes. As you knew it. Yes, that that was my life.、Mm. And then、um, I remember one teacher told me that I'm a traitor,、um, oh、and I was like, "Why am I a traitor?" I, and you know, right now I'm 41, going to 42. It's a crime, and you know I had a right to speak up and speak out, and adults around me supposed to protect, yeah, the victim, right? But I was called a traitor, and then he went around and then told the relatives that I am 
ungrateful. Yeah. And my father was very manipulative mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Um, so I could not fight for it. Mm-hmm. I was only 13. Mm-hmm. And, and, and being that age, and, and, and as you just said, I think a very important thing, you didn't know any different. And at 13 years old, you, you, you weren't exposed to this was a crime. You weren't exposed to any of that. This was, the, the, I can't imagine the level of confusion in, in your mind must have just been off the charts and uh, devastating in many, many ways. Um, we're going to talk to Jerry more about this uh, subject and how, and how she's leading a wonderful life now filled with incredible things. I can't wait to get into the rest of the story. I just want to remind everybody we're talking with Jury Love. Jury Love uh, is a Foxborough resident, among many, many other things. She's an advocate uh, telling her story. Uh, she's an author. She's a model. Uh, she's a mom. She's a writer. She's a musician. Uh, she's an actress and, um, uh, as I mentioned before, a reporter for the Sun Chronicle. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find us at www.chaptersradio.com, and that's where we have our podcast. This is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, and it's also Sexual Assault uh, Awareness Month as well. It's very appropriate we're having this conversation. I'm so thankful that Jerry Love... Um, found me and, 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 and we had a conversation and you're here today. So jury, uh, you've had this tremendously difficult experience and, uh, along the way you're told that you should go out and volunteer. Um, and, and I, I'm not sure whether I have the chronological time, right, but it was somewhere around your twenties, was it? So what happened was after I escaped from my father successfully, I started to live with my mom Mm -hmm. and then there was actually an important part leading to the volunteering part. Um, what happened was I told my mother about the sexual abuse from the father, and she did not believe me. It took her overnight, and um, she came up with the solution that I was making up the story. Mm-hmm. So it devastated me, re-traumatized me, so I tried to kill myself. Oh. So I was cutting my wrist with the little knife, and then started to bleed, and then um, my mom for some reason, came from work. She forgot something and then found me. And then she stopped me. Um, After that, I just um, really felt like not continuing life and then kind of lost motivation. I went to school, um, but I was pretty good at everything um, academically. um, And I was very athletic. So people didn't know what was going on, and I didn't want people to know. And I was just pretending everything was okay. And at some point in high school, I just kind of had enough. And then um, I was taking piano lessons, and I was trying to pursue, um, like, classical music university path. But I just stopped, and I just quit, and I just skipped school for like about a week and my mom didn't know that I was not going to school I was like hanging out with my boyfriend at the the time Um, school called my mother and then said Julie's not in school and then she said that's not true she went to school (laughs) so she didn't know I was skipping Mm -hmm. then I just I got a zero on my math test the teacher called me and you know, you're going to fail. And then I said, I don't want to graduate high school. I really don't want to continue high school. Right. And my uh, boyfriend at the time 
She's um, basically, he said, if you want to do something in the future, high school graduation diploma, GED is so important, whatever the choice that you want to make. And I'm like, I don't think I want to make any choice. I don't want to do anything. And um, I was very, very depressed. Mm. But I didn't know that I was depressed. Really? I didn't know I, didn't, I had PTSD. And there was no talk in school about mental health no, no. awareness or not like no. they have today. No, no, not at all. And the teacher just thought I was skipping and yeah. being bad. Yeah. But then he said, why don't you volunteer? Why don't you um, help somebody? And I didn't know what volunteer was either. But I'm like, okay, I'm, I just don't know what to do with my life. So I went to volunteer um, through the city that I was living um, with disabled people. Um, and I was assigned to feed and take care of this adult who had been on a wheelchair um, since birth. Yeah. And that experience just really changed my life. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that, how it changed your life? I think, it, I think it's an amazing story. Yes. So I was feeding this, um, I think he was in 30s, men um, who could not move his um, uh, body fully. So he had this hiragana chart, which is like a Japanese character chart. And he was pointing each word to describe what he wants to eat. Um, then I feed him. And then after that, we had a conversation time. And then he basically started the conversation. And it took maybe 20, 30 minutes. It was kind of hard to remember what he pointed before. And then, you know, I was just trying to remember. And then he said, um, last month was hard. And I said, okay, but I just met you, so I don't know why. And then he's like, my mother died. Yeah. And I just I, I just couldn't say anything. But by the way, that took like 10 minutes to express right. from just pointing. Pointing words. out the characters. Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, all of a sudden, um, the next word that he would point would forever change my life. He said, it was my fault. And it just shocked me so much that um, um, I, I just felt so guilty in the way that I was born with full potential despite the trauma and the um, abuse. I was just pounding my head with this guilt and um, shame and also like expectation that I can't do anything and I should give up. But then this man um, with so much guilt in him with the disability, the level of disability, and but you know, openness to talk to me like that, I just felt so guilty that I had so much potential. I can see, I can hear, I can touch, I can move, and then why am I whining about my life? And it just kind of changed whole perspective about potential. And after that. Um, I tried to apply for an exchange program to yeah. come to America, and I've never been on an airplane or any anything. Any far, like you know, I got my first passport. I actually passed the test, which was very competitive. Um, and I auditioned for modeling, which my friend at the time, my friends kind of discouraged, oh, you're not the prettiest in the school, <laughs> you wouldn't pass, but then I passed. So I started modeling and I started to do this um, exchange program, which was 
absolutely life-changing and I met amazing amazing friends from all over Japan which some of them are my best friends still now so it really really changed me yeah you know what's amazing to me uh, as and thank you for sharing that what a story that is um but you were you were how old did you say 20 what when you were sitting with that man and he no, um 17 seven, oh i'm sorry 17 years of 16, age so 17. 17 years of age you've already identified in retrospection how terribly depressed you were you had a suicide attempt but and you didn't have parents that were teaching you social and emotional health you didn't have any anybody other than some counseling right so you had to from within yourself you had to create that impact yourself does that make sense? In other words, that came from an organic spot where you said at 17 years of age, I recognize that as unfortunate as I've been, as hard as my life has been, this is a message that I just received from this man that says to Jury Love, change your attitude from one of victimhood to gratitude. Yes. Is that what I heard? Yes. Okay. And you said it changed your life. So you went from feeling very unfortunate to saying, I better start counting the blessings that I do have, and I better start using them. Exactly. Right? Yes. And so you get you, know, you get on a plane and you come over to the U.S. Yes. Right? And your modeling career starts to go. Yes. And um, you start to, to realize, to find your voice. Exactly. Would that be a, a good description? Yes, absolutely. When did you found Genuine Voices? Because I want to talk a little bit about some of your activism, because it's so informative as to, you know, your response to all of this trauma. And can you talk to us a little bit of what, about what Genuine Voices did? Yes, um, sure. So um, just to go back a little, um, after that experience and then came to America, um, I got kicked out from my mother and at age 18, and I was homeless. Mm -hmm. And then I had to um, survive through the homelessness by working and just um, going through um, a lot of trauma, including abuse and homelessness. And I completely understand the adversity, the level of um, survival. So you were homeless on the streets in the U.S. or in Japan? Oh, in Japan. Okay, when sorry. I was 18. Okay, so now you've been dismissed from the house and you're out yes. having to fit, fend for yourself. My goodness. Yes. So, um, but anyways, it gave me a great perspective of responsibility at age 18 of being homeless and then finding a job um, and then saving up money to come to Berkeley College of Music, which I got a scholarship, and um, I saved $30,000 by myself when I was like 19 to 21, and I just went through so many different stages of my life at young age, and when I graduated from Berkeley College of Music, um, it was 2001, September, of course, the 9-11 happened, and I just felt compelled to do something very powerful in the community and with all these traumas and experiences um, I just I just wanted to help somebody yeah. and I didn't know what it was but I was reading a book in Japanese and there was one paragraph about a guy who um, was teaching journalism in juvenile detention center in um, California and some of them became professional screenwriters in Hollywood and for some reason, that was like a thunder to my spine that it just um, was an incredible story to me. And I just thought about these boys who were incarcerated and then being in a small cell and just um, didn't know what to do. 
part of the way that you described about how I wasn't sure what was going on, and then、mm-hmm. that was what it was.、Um, Normalized almost. Yeah, because you have no comparison、right. to a normal life, or、right. and what is normal, anyways. So、um, I thought about those boys, and then had so much,、um, you know, empathy for the situation, why they got locked in to start with. Of course, it's not really their fault. But the family situation where I could be easily in that path,、Absolutely. and、um, you know, I just thought maybe because I went to Berkeley College of Music and learned all this music, and I was a senior and、um, had to do something. And a lot of students did recording or performance, but instead, I decided to do community service, and that was、uh, the beginning of Genial Voices. Then、um, I started.、Um, I, I reached out to probation officer in Dorchester. I googled kids in jail, <laughs> and then、uh, this probation officer came up, and then I got in touch with him, and then I met him, and I told him I want to teach music sequencing, like production in detention center, and he said, "Jury, you came from Japan. You don't know anything about gang. Why don't you start with at risk youth?" So he appointed、uh, me to boys and girls club in Dorchester.、Mm-hmm. Where I started my first program as a volunteer、wow. um, in two thousand one. And you were how old then? Um, twenty. Oh my gosh, you were young. 24, yeah, twenty four. Yeah. So then, ah, twenty two at that time. Yes. But um. But four. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm sorry. Twenty four. Yeah, but short. So, so six short years earlier, you had been homeless in the streets of Japan. Correct. And you managed to save thirty thousand American dollars. U.S. Yeah. U.S. dollars. Thirty thousand U.S. dollars. Yes. Um. After all of that trauma and all of that depression, and being dismissed from the house by by your mom. Yes. And and I mean, you kind of we kind of went zipping past that for a、yes. minute. I just wanted to call that out,、um, folks. I want to remind you, we're speaking with Jury Love. Jury Love、uh, is an activist、um, and many many other things. We're talking about her her experience. Uh, right now, in、uh, coming to this country and beginning her volunteer life, as we go along with her story. My name is Jim Derrick. Name of the show is Chapters. We're on ChaptersRadio.com, where you can find、uh, our podcasts.、Uh, and、um, I want to point out once again: April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. It's also Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and that's part of what we're doing here today with Jury's help:、uh, is bringing awareness and bringing these topics to the light. So, Jury, here you are. You're your Berkeley College graduate, which I didn't realize before. You're a pianist. You're also a singer,、um, and you、uh, have decided that volunteerism. And this is at the age of 24, 25 years of age. You're here in the country for the first time,、uh, and you decide, you know what? The first thing I'm going to do, and this is just again, I don't want to gloss this over. The first thing I'm going to do is go into our prisons and work with, or, or our detention facilities and work with youth. That's amazing. And genuine voices is formed as a nonprofit. In ah、uh, yes, when I was twenty six years old,、right. I got five one c three. And you start working with at risk youth. Yes. So first of all,、um, the Boys and Girls Club,、um, Dorchester in Dorchester. I didn't know anything about at risk youth and the life of、um, this hardship.、Um, I obviously learned、um, after twelve years of being present and founder of Genuine Voices, and then、uh, first. At the Boys and Girls Club, I started with six、um, music students, and first of all,、um, they said no, and then they didn't have any facility. So we were using storage, like maybe、um, just like 
of stories. Much room as you could get wherever in the corners. And- yeah, and I got like one laptop donation yeah. and one keyboard and one speaker donation from Berkeley College of Music and the software called Reason. And um, we had four volunteers, and that was 2001, September. But now, 2018, they have 600 students, and then they have $60,000 recording studio with fully equipped music room, and a lot of kids are taking music lessons for free. It's amazing. Amazing. It's absolutely incredible. What an accomplishment that is. And along the way, the Boston Celtics recognize you uh, with that wonderful award that we've all seen if we've been to Celtics games that they give out sparingly, but they do give them out. And Jerry was the uh, Boston Celtics Heroes Among Us. She received the Heroes Among Us Award. Yes. Which is um, a wonderful, wonderful way of recognizing uh, your one of your accomplishments. I know along the way you've also been awarded uh, awards by the Kraft family and the Patriots. Yes, correct. Um, for your volunteerism and, and for your activism. So this program used music to, uh, to allow people at risk and those that have been traumatized by physical and sexual abuse um, the way to and, and people that were being held in juvenile detention, those those that are most vulnerable among us, uh, it gave them a way of expressing this, themselves and importantly healing and um, moving through their trauma. Is that right? Absolutely. So Genuine Voices um, started then um, after the Boys and Girls Club program got launched. Um, I still wanted to um, do the program in the detention program and then along the way I met people and then I got um, I started a program in detention programs and I, towards the end I closed Genuine Voices by the way in 2014 mm-hmm. but then when it was active there were four detention centers that were providing we were providing free music lessons to juvenile offenders um, with the volunteer mm-hmm. team of volunteers with um, fully equipped uh, laptop and productions and then they were mostly producing um, hip-hop yeah. rap music which is empowering but um, along the way I met so many these boys wounded um, traumatized boys where um, people are so biased that they are criminals that um, to me they were just wounded teenagers yeah. and you know didn't have guidance and just um you know, had wrong way of like life, like I was. So I had so much compassion. I have really um, amazing moment with one boy. Um, he was in and out from um, the detention program since thirteen. His father was in jail. I think he's in jail, and the mother was drug addict. He started to, all his neighbors, uncles are selling drugs, and then he started to sell drugs since age 13. So he was in and out. And after he got out, uh, when he was 18, I took him with my staff to Rockport, and then we did sea kayaking together. And he told me, Jerry, like he's 18 years old, Jerry, I've never seen ocean in my life. Thank you so much for taking me to ocean. I've never seen it. And he was living in Mattapan. He's never been anywhere besides Mattapan. We've touched together so many lives, and I'm so proud. Um, One of the boys that we met, he performed drums, and I was actually a guest speaker at the Wheelock College, and I invited him. This is another boy, and he he started. This is a boy who was in the detention program. Um, He started 
a wonderful T-shirt company, which is selling a ton of T-shirt, and his design is very unique. And I was in a fashion show wearing his design, and he is incredible, and I love him so much. And I have a boy. When you mentioned about heroes among us, um, they sent us a chauffeur with a fancy car, and I was able to bring four guests. And one of the guests was a boy who I met. We met in the detention program, and he just said he saw me getting an award from like seventeen thousand people standing ovation. And I said, you know, you might be next. You know, you can I, change the life of people. I love that, Jerry, and and. W- you know, when we were talking, that that's that's what I get from you is that what you're putting out is um, an an image that is real, that is authentic, that is willing to be courageous, which, in my opinion, is the the term of courage that brings to mind for me walking through fears. So you've got to walk through that fear of, I'm going to have to talk about some difficult things. There are going to be te- some tears shed, as we just said earlier. This isn't trauma that you lived and you're over. This is trauma that you live every day because it doesn't just go away. It changes, but it doesn't go away. And so you have the courage to live through that, to vocalize all this, to then put yourself out there and say, I'm going to help other people. And so you are a, literally a mentor and you're right. These, that's the goal here, right, is to inspire other people to want to be jury loves, to inspire other people to want to get up off the mat, regardless of the circumstances they've been given, and to, and to volunteer or do something positive with their lives because we've all got difficult things that happen to us, but then we have a choice to make, right, as to what to do with it. Yeah, so I could easily be um, like in the wrong path when I was especially homeless, there were people who were using drugs, and then I I was at park, I was staying at you know twenty four hours restaurant or club, but you know it just uh, the man that I've helped uh, when I was seventeen, that he's like message that it was my fault, and then being on wheelchair like again again I like that just keeps coming to my head that and then, was a, the, that was a big mind shift for you yes absolutely and then i'm like you know however i was homeless you know i can do more i can do something so i actually got a job at the resort hotel um and i started to work there and learn how to cook so you became a great cook and here you yes. are saving money like crazy yes right Right. Yeah, so what happened was a little bit just go, going back to my life in Japan. So after I became homeless and then saved up money from this resort hotel, which was a beautiful place near Mount Fuji, and um, I came back to Tokyo and got my first apartment, very, like, humbling, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, cock, some, like cockroach fight and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, it was a very humbling apartment, yeah, yeah. but I was very proud. But I didn't have sure. money to You're buy. You had a place to live. Yeah, I didn't have money to actually buy a bed, so I was actually sleeping in a sleeping bag yeah, yeah. in an apartment. Yeah. But I was doing commission job that time, and I that commission job was very interesting. You knock um, people's door and then sell stuff. And one time I went to Yakuza office. I had no idea it was a Yakuza. It's like a Japanese mob, not mafia. Oh, is that what office. it is? I, I didn't and know I, that. I had no idea, and then they... Um, they didn't kill me, obviously, but <laughs> they say to never come back, but I buy you a product and just please don't come back. And, <laughs> and you got lucky and you got the commission. You got yes, lucky not got to get like killed. Like 1,000 yen, yeah. which is like $10. <laughs> so I'm used to talking to strangers yeah. and then I got 
uh, strong resilience of uh, you know, um, resilience, like just selling and, sure. and being commissioned job. Like you know, well, you have to me be. Able, I mean, here you are uh, having suffered through what you suffered through, and now you put yourself in a job that by definition has a lot of rejection yes exactly so, so you're building up some emotional calluses if you if you will yeah but i learned a lot of great things through that job too um one of the things that i really want to share is getting no means getting yes towards the end and the percentages of you know average percentage of when are you going to get yes so that's why i think part of it is not giving up is in, important um to hear no's uh yeah the ways of getting yeses. Yeah, and you've gotten a ton of yeses in your life. But um, I've got to tell you, we're going to get into more about what Jury does and uh, and what she plans on doing. And I, I had trouble keeping up with you when we were first start talking on the phone because of the, amount, the variety of things you do. Genuine Voices was closed in 2016. What a successful organization and how much impact you had there. So I know you were married uh, uh, once before your current marriage. Um, can, yes. you, can you describe what happened there and, and how that might have impacted and informed you as you went forward? So I had, I had a wonderful husband and we were doing really great, but my PTSD and depression really played a role of failing a mar- our marriage. Mm-hmm. We had a house together and a wonderful dog and you know, supposed to be very, very happy. But one time my sister visited me and then um, basically told me that um, my father wanted to get in touch with me, which I really didn't want to. And, you know, he was basically harassing my sister to find out how I am doing. And I just didn't want to get in touch with him. And she asked me to write a letter. So I wrote a very cruel letter saying that, um, please think that your daughter is dead. Please do not harass my sister. And what you did was crime, which you are so lucky to be not in jail so anyways um after that and prior to that you know my mother had never believed me of sexual abuse and i think my counselor told me that 80 percent of mothers um they don't believe the sexual abuse that happened to their um children from their sexual partners Mm. So in uh, statistics, um, you know, I think my mother was normal, but to me it was devastating. So it took over maybe 25 years for her to do something about it. Then what happened was um, she finally believed me and um, she called my father and asked him what happened. And then he basically told her... um, well, you left, and then um, jury started to look like you. That's why I needed the sexual sure. like desire to right. be met. No apology, mm-hmm. disgusting, and absolutely devastating that finally somebody advocated for me, my mother, but then the perpetrator didn't admit right. and didn't apologize. Right, And I got into a huge depression, Mm. really bad depression, which I didn't even know I was so depressed. I wanted to push everyone away from me, and including my ex-husband. So he was, in a way, a victim from the victim. (laughs) It's just um, 
it affected me so much, and I still feel very, very guilty about mm. that. Mm. And um, that's how it failed. Yeah. So if eighty percent of folks whose sexual partner or husband uh, abuse their loved one don't acknowledge it as being truthful, then that tells me that there's a psychosis. There's a psychological reason behind that. You know, I really have no idea, and I'm not a psychologist, and I don't know. Okay. Like I, I really have no idea, and then I still have so many questions of what happened to me and why that happened to me, and I still struggle. Mm. Like I have one year old daughter, she's gorgeous, she's angelic, and my son is seven, he's amazing, and I don't understand how these things happen, yeah. and then how a person who's supposed to protect would do something like that. And also, I don't understand why people don't believe child crying out for help. Mm. And a lot of times I heard repeatedly a lot of people do not believe the sexual abuse. Yeah, I, I, and I, I mean, that's, to me, that's a recurrent theme, you know, is, is not believing. So I, I, I didn't want to dwell on it, but I did want to bring it up because you are the, a firsthand survivor of this. Um, you talked about the importance of counseling and finding the right counselor. So if you've been a victim of, of sexual assault, uh, physical assault, verbal abuse, um, you you were making some very important points about that. And I wanted to ask you, what what is the importance and how do you identify whether or not you're, front, you're in front of the right person for you? I tried different counselors, but then I met this counselor who I stuck with for almost six years every week. And before I left her session for the first time, I didn't want to come back because it was just too hard, really yeah, hard. I can only imagine. And I just didn't have courage to continue. Then before I shut the door, she stood at the door and then told me, Jiri, just to let you know, I'm also a victim of sexual abuse. I didn't just read a bunch of books. I read a bunch of books to become a counselor, but I also know how you feel and I really want to help you and that just changed my attitude towards counseling and I just felt like maybe I can trust her so that was a really good decision and she really helped me next session she mentioned about how billing works which really shocked me and encouraged me to continue counseling which I really want to share so she said if you are um as a, I think counselor, when you bill um, the health insurance company, insurance company, um, there are two ways she described. So one, I can be as a mental health um, patient or client, and that you get twenty four sessions a year from the insurance company. But then, if you are um, considered as PTSD client, then it's a biological reaction that um, it's treated differently and then you get 23 times of um, counseling session from the insurance company. She explained to me purposely because she wanted me to know that I am not crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a chemical shift inside of my brain. Adrenaline kicks in when something triggers me. So you need to be treated and when you, she said, when you get cancer, would you be ashamed to see a doctor? 
Would you be ashamed to tell people you have a cancer? I'm going to hospital. Why would you be ashamed to have PTSD and not get treated? Jerry, there's actually a very specific treatment that you underwent for PTSD uh, that was very effective. Can you talk to us about that? So it's called EMDR. That stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it was formed by psychotherapy by um, Francine Shapiro. Um, EMDR, um, to me, that was the most effective um, treatment. It's It's not medicine. You follow the light from right to left or you stimulate from right to left and the goal is to bring the trauma from the primitive primitive part of brain to the cognitive part of brain as if you are watching a movie of what happened to you it's a very tough work wow. but um, when you're sleeping uh, it's REM swim, REM mm-hmm. sleeping so your eye goes right and left and then you are kind of cleansing every day of what happened in that day if there's any traumatic thing happened that day while you're sleeping and that mechanism was used to um, consciousness when you're awake with the counselor with the, the right EMDR certified counselor um, then I've done so many years of counseling but I wish I knew the EMDR a lot earlier, um, two of my friends who are one sexually abused from the daycare caregiver, which is devastating, and then uh, one uh, was also from the father. They both tried EMDR. This is before I knew anything about EMDR, and they recommended me, and I tried myself EMDR. It just worked amazingly. So um, I highly recommend finding EMDR certified therapist in your area and then try that. And again, earlier, uh, Jerry had said that this trauma is a physical chemical reaction. Uh, this isn't something that's imagined or, or and it's very, very real. And uh, we're talking about moving that experience from the limbic area, which is the, uh, for lack of a better word, the animal reptilian part of the brain to the frontal area, frontal cortex area, which allows you to process it on a cognitive and reasoning basis. And uh, so rather than fight or flight, you move that to a thought process. Would I have that right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Jerry, back to your um, counseling experience. You you had said that uh, you need the right counselor, one that can empathize with you. And in your case, that was one with direct experience sure. with the trauma that you had had. Yes. But even then, I had so... I had such a hard time to go to counsel counseling mm-hmm. sessions. Um, it was a fight. Yeah. And before I knew that I had to go to counseling session, I used to go to the bathroom and then put my finger in my mouth and then threw up. I just threw myself up to feel the pain physically because PTSD is something... You know, I'm not professional, but the firsthand experience of PTSD, it's just... Um, you can't do anything and you just zone out and then you just feel so much pain inside and you just want to end your life and you just um, the pain feels up and my counselor was telling me like you know some people who cut cut, cut themselves and then just feel the pain it's called grounding Um, so I think I was trying to ground myself that I'm alive I'm not dying and you know I'm 
just needed to feel physical pain. Mm. And you might feel so detached from your mind that you're that, like you said, grounding makes sense to me. Causing pain, I could see that that would jolt you back possibly to, to knowing that you're that you're at least alive. Um, I want to remind people we are speaking with Jury Love. By the way, uh, if you'd like to to read more about Jury Love, she has her own website. It's J U R I L O V E. Dot com. That's jurylove.com. She's also on Facebook. I highly recommend you look her up. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about a young actor that she is bringing along and mentoring that happens to share her DNA because it's her lovely little son. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, Jerry, if it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of talk to folks. I want to save time to talk about what you're currently doing now, because here you've had these incredible experiences. Now, you got married again to your wonderful husband now, and um, and you have two beautiful children. You have a one-year-old and a seven-year-old, uh, Jaden. And what's your daughter's name? Jayla. Jayla. Oh, that's beautiful. Great. And uh, Jaden is following in mom's footsteps as a model and an actor and a singer. Yes. How exciting is that? Amazing. Yeah. And your husband is is, uh, uh, just tremendously supportive of this path for Jaden, and you're just having a great time. Um, You live here locally, and you're extremely, extremely busy. Um, (laughs) When I met uh, Jury, we have mutual—now we have mutual friends— and um, I hope we're, we're becoming friends. Uh, but it's amazing what, what everybody to a T said. The goddess of connection is her nickname, um, which is incredible. She connects people like you read about. She doesn't waste any time when she does it. She's very to the point in the phone and gets things. She's a doer. She gets things done. Here's an idea, just to give you a quick idea. You're working with the Rotary and your position with the Rotary Club in Foxborough uh, is what? Is it? Community committee chair. Community committee chair. So she doesn't just do things halfway. Uh, To give you an example, she's on the Rotary International Subcommittee for Human Trafficking. She's also working in Peace and Conflict Resolution Committee. Those are two committees that, boy, I'll tell you what, they are lucky to have you in that position. Thank you. It's it's talking about the counselor, like you said about the counselor, somebody who's uniquely qualified by education, training, and importantly, experience, you know, on things like uh, why human trafficking would be terrible and and, and preying on the most vulnerable around us and how to generate peace and conflict resolution. Um, Again, jury's very, very busy as a a reporter, and this is so so cool. Um, How did you get into reporting? You have no formal training. Not at all, no. So how did you wind up working for Now the Sun Chronicle? So I actually write for the Foxborough Reporter okay. and then the parent company, the Sun Chronicle. Got it. Um, my son and I performed together last year at Boston City Hall Plaza at the Boston Green Fest. He sang the national anthem alone. I accompanied him. But we were on the Boston Globe and we are on the Foxborough Reporter front cover. And the person uh, who wrote our article, Rick Foster, who now is my boss and mentor, um, he came to Rotary meeting and he saw me being very connected to the community. And he asked me, Jerry, if you have any newsworthy things, can you please let me know? Oh, sure. So next day I called him (laughs) with five leads and then two got published right away. And then he said, I think you're going to be good at this. <laughs> and he um, recommended me to his boss, 
uh, Craig Roger to um, the Sun Chronicle. And I had a lovely interview that didn't seem like an interview. We just talked about how journalism affects the justice. And it was such an important conversation that we had. Um, we're talking about spotlight. We are talking about um, the priest sexual abuse. Yes. Um, and then we just yep. talked about how journalism affected right. so many thousands of victims and how I am so um, incredibly humbled to be talking to a journalist and I got a job. Yeah, <laughs> I got and um, job. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm not surprised at all um, because of who you are and, and the drive and the talent. But, you know, we spoke for five minutes and within five minutes, it was it was the most productive conversation I've ever had uh, because we got four or five things done. You are a doer. You are a doer, and um, it's great, and they're lucky to have you, and I can't wait to read your work. And it's not enough, though, because we're not done with the rest of the story. We won't be even after today, but Jury is finishing right now a book called A Gift from Adversity. What a title, and uh, she's looking for a publisher right now, and and she wants to publish this book as soon as possible, right? It's it's basically done, and you're just finishing up? Yes, I've done draft. It's about maybe 100 pages, Mm -hmm. but it's about my life and how um, I overcame adversity. And then hopefully it'll reach out to a lot of people. Yeah. Jerry, I want to bring this up as we we start to get close to the end of the show. Here's, Here's what's incredible to me. If you had gone into your depression and stayed in your depression, if you'd chosen to, which it was, you certainly could have, if you had chosen alcohol or drugs or just giving up or any anything that you chose in other words you have to choose for yourself what type of life you want no matter how much adversity you faced you have a choice to make right and in that moment with that gentleman that disabled gentleman you said i'm choosing to live my life in a positive fashion i am not going to be a victim i've been blessed yes i've had things that that i've been victimized but i don't have to live as a victim for the rest of my life right and i'm even more humbled and honored to be in your company today because, yes, I, I think it is. there are things that you've done here that are heroic, including today and speaking out loud about this. But, you know, we're not if, – if we don't engage in these types of conversations eye to eye, we don't learn. And if we don't learn, then we're stuck and history is bound to repeat itself. We're in the middle of National Child Abuse Prevention Month and Sexual Abuse Awareness Month. And – you know, I mean, it shouldn't just be a month, but of course, we're high, we we need to we need to mark some place in time where we say we're going to have real candid and open conversations about this. But let's not stop at the end of April. The beauty of what you're doing is you're you're allowing us, you're using your experience to help other people, like you did with Genuine Voices, like you've done time and time again with the, the story of that young man and taking people into the heroes among us and showing them that there's a way out. There's a way out. And rather than living in victimhood, you can live in to a very full and productive life that's really full of helping other people and paying yes. it forward. Yes. So one of the proudest things that I've done is um, I wanted to mention there was a boy uh, throughout Genuine Voices um, program. He was incarcerated since, I think, 11, and he was considered one of the worst crime in the state of Massachusetts. And then people didn't know what to do with him. So I said to my staff, why don't we do something? And we actually chose GoFundMe page of pediatric cancer patient and asked him to donate a song for him 
that he would never he never met. So he actually came up with beautiful lyrics and rap, which a lot of times the rap, the gangster rap has swears and negativity, but his rap and songs are so gorgeous. And we brought him to Berkeley College of Music fundraiser we had, and we choreographed his song with a contemporary dance group. He was escorted by director, assistant director from the DYS, and then um, he witnessed his song being choreographed and uh, empowered him, and it just really changed his life. How old was he at that time? 18. 18 years of age. But he was in detention program for seven years. So that that'll change that 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 event has the potential to change the whole trajectory of his life. Yes, and in this, a positive, positive way. Absolutely. And then the one more thing I really want to mention is when the Japanese TV was here, the Boys and Girls Club program that I started. It's now still running uh, without my presence, which I'm so grateful of. Um, so when the Japanese TV station came. We went to visit the Boys and Girls Club, yeah. and there was a boy who was playing the drums, and, you know, he was a fantastic drummer, and I went to talk to him, and he just he just started to cry, and he said, my, my father just died yesterday. He got killed by gun violence, and he was 16. Mm-hmm. The boy was 16, and he said ever since he was born, he was a student of Boys and Girls Club music program now he goes to boston arts academy he just performed at hard rock cafe oh my god and amazing drummer but he, yet he went through so much of loss depression and responsibility yeah. at such a young age so i mentored him and i you know i've been mentoring him and helping him encouraging him and just i'm just so proud of the creation that people obviously supported me so much of my vision and it's still continuing to touch people's lives like his life and his family's life that without the oasis that he has right now he said he had no idea where he would be after his father's death and you understand that firsthand you understand that desperation that feeling that i don't want to go on so you know the reverse when you see it, when someone has a turnaround, and it's got to be breathtaking for you. Absolutely. To have even to have a role in that. And there's a profound moment that one of the students that I mentioned who I took to the sea kayaking at the Boston Green Fest when he was about to perform, it poured rain and we kind of went to um, Starbucks to kind of evacuate from the rain. And we had a conversation, short conversation, maybe two minutes conversation of um, his struggle. And I said to him, You know, I was abused. I was homeless. And he said, he he looked dead in my eyes and he said, so you know what I mean? Mm. And I said, yes, I do. And he opened up to me and he trusted me and he let me um, take him to the sea kayaking. It's it's amazing, uh, Jerry. And being in your company um, is very, very, you're a very, very powerful person. And uh, you, you just bring such passion and love uh, emanate from your eyes and compassion, and that's the important thing and the ability to relate. Jury, what does someone do if they have been the victim of sexual or physical abuse? And you know, can they can they reach out to you? Yes, they can reach out to me, but also they can reach out to local police stations mm-hmm. and then teachers, advocacy groups, and um, 
maybe there's a hotlines. Um, but I think the important thing is to find a friend um, who believes in you and then non-judgmental, inspiring friends that can, you know, push you, push you through to the adversity. So I think what I hear you saying is don't try to work through this alone. No. And get to somebody promptly that's in a position of authority like a police officer. Yes. It's a crime. It is a crime. Make no mistake about it. Uh, you're the victim. Yes. You are not at fault. And find someone that empathizes and understands. And while you're doing that, Jerry has made herself, graciously made herself available as someone who understands and who can empathize directly from experience. I w- uh, really want to encourage people to go to www.jury.com and take a look at Jury's website. Make sure you check back. Um, is there a place that they can sign up to be on your contact list so that they can get your book when it comes out? Or can they just go to Facebook and look up Jury Love and maybe send you a message? Yes. Jury, could we give out your uh, email address? It's jurypanda at gmail.com. That's J-U-R-I. Panda. Panda like the bear. Mm-hmm. Panda at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Jury, I just want to thank you again for being here today, for your courage, for sharing your story so openly. So, for Jury Love, my name is Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters Radio, and we will see you next week.